This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 10, We Played It. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. So we just played two games of Twilight Imperium. We played a game yesterday, and we played a game today. And how long did they take us? So the first game was a five-player game, and it took us seven and a half hours minus some setup time. And the second game was a four-player game, and it took us five hours minus some setup time. So what that means, uh, boys and girls, uh, welcome to Space Cats, Peace Turtles. Um is that if you get really good at the game, maybe you can get to the really sweet spot yeah. three, four hours. I do think the game is faster. I don't think it's light years faster, but it is a faster game to be sure. We had uh, new players in both We games. had new players, and so that always slowed things down. So once we have all experienced people, um, I can see things going very fastly. I will say our second game, where the people were a little bit more experienced, our first round or two went very fast, as very, far as first rounds fast. are concerned. Yeah. We were... We were flying through the through the turns um so that being said uh we're going to talk about a lot today uh we're going to try to hit this is mainly all first impressions of these first two games we're going to talk about the systems of the game and how we feel about them now that we finally got our hands on them uh all of this stuff is um still mildly speculative because it's only been two games but this is how we feel now and things that have changed in our brains based on our first two games yeah things that all you know the things we're going to talk about today negate a lot of the things we talked about in our first five episodes yes yeah so throw those out yep take those throw those in the garbage never (laughs) listen to them again it starts here i think we've made that point several times in the podcast this would be a good time to start listening and throw out all the old stuff we're always throwing out all our old episodes so um real quick let's just talk about the the super broad strokes, mechanically speaking, Hunter, how was trade? How did the new trade system work? Trade was literally like a breath of fresh air into the game. It, like we were so, we've been so excited about it this whole time, and we were so right to be excited about it. It is so cool. It's so and cool. it has so much potential in yes. the game. And we'll talk about this more later. But um, there's a there's kind of an argument we have that like trade and how trade functions is the entire game like everything that you can do and will do exists within the confines of what you can do with trade yeah it the, trade, hugely it, hugely uh important and the potential of it i think go like runs deep into the game yeah, now more so than any other mechanic yeah. um the agenda phase was very exciting the first time we did it it was always good it is just a vast 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 improvement over the old politics system all that being said, it has a couple of, I won't even call them flaws. You know, we're not going to sit here and talk about just like, oh, the game is perfect. So uh, just know that Agenda Phase has some weird metagame things that happen with it. Yes. And we will talk about those more later. Definitely improved, but not perfect. Yep. Um, and then also kind of the big system that we want to cover is how we feel about 
uh, tech. And I would say that we kind of have some strange feelings about tech that mm-hmm. I did not expect that we would have. Yes. Um, and, and at this point, incredibly hard to define feelings. Yeah. So these those are going to be kind of our topics of discussion. Uh, but first, we want to lead into all of this with uh, quick overviews of the races we played or had at our table. Mm-hmm. This is not to be confused with our upcoming starting strategy uh, things. We're not going to delve into like all the nitty-gritty with these races. We're going to talk about the uh, mechanic implications that we learned based on the races we saw at the table. Because more than anything, what we have learned is um, the races you play in TI4 matter a lot more than what you played in TI3. Yeah, I completely agree. There are there are huge implications on the board to what you play and what your opponents play and how you guys will work in conjunction with each other. Yeah. So let's start it off. Uh, game one yesterday, I played as the x Kingdom. And uh, we were wrong about graviton laser systems wow were we in in one particular respect and that is the x chaw kingdom's flagship this is something that was brought up and we talked about it and we said yeah that sounds good cool but uh essentially hunter tried to attack me at one point and because he underestimated what the x chaw flagship could be capable of i almost ruined his entire game and strategy and everything. everything i went from the lead at six points to practically I mean, not standing real, a yeah pra- yeah practically out of the game um not completely out but just like very very gimped yes and then i mean i ended the game at six points so I, like you have to imagine this was an attack that ruined me and cost him nothing cost it cost nothing. matt nothing to do yes uh I, the cost that i would say is at the beginning of the game, I chose, as x I was going to solely focus on my PDS stuff, and I knew I wanted to get that flagship out there. So I did that. By the time Hunter attacked me, I had Deep Space Cannon. I had Plasma Scoring. I, of course, had Graviton Laser Systems. And several PDS And in I range. had several PDS in range. He attacked me. I rolled six dice and absolutely destroyed Just him. And on, a, on a roll that did not require that much luck no well, it required 60, some luck 60 percent i had a 60 percent chance to roll all the dice i needed i needed 80 percent of them to hit and i did that so whatever those statistics work out to be not the craziest odds in the world so extra very very good in some very specific respects and that's going to be something i think we constantly talk about is there are all of these incredibly particular situations that races rely slash um Hope for. Yeah. I would Rely say on and hope for. I got an impression that um, from the extra of PDS definitely getting a bump up yeah. from uh, in Twilight Imperium 3. We were shrugging them off. Mm-hmm. We didn't think plasma scoring was a worthwhile tech at all. I totally disagree. I don't think it's like the best tech in the game or anything, but it is definitely a good tech. And PDS, while it is still slow to get them out, PDS are effective. And it, the thing is now, it just seems like the understanding is you're trying to make a network of PDS that kind of overlap. Like, I mean, the way you positioned your yeah. PDS and your flagship was very advantageous. Yes. And I would say now that my impression of Xtra is that they finally, with their flagship, and if they're throwing PDS and getting Graviton Laser, which they start with, correct? They start with it. It's not hard yeah. to get those it's, things. Yeah, it's, it's not very difficult um, that they can now really play fully into their theme. You do not want to strike into their pie slice. Yeah. And if you do, you really need to, like... Do the run the numbers. Yep. Yeah. Basically. It's so funny because they lost the ability of having basically a plus one 
on defensive rolls, or really it was a, what, a minus one to people rolling against them? I don't remember. I'm not going to look it up. You can errata it me was all a, you want. It was a negative one to the first round of there, space. Yeah, it was not great, that. and I was wondering if that was going to be a, a big loss for them, and it totally is not because that flagship is so good. The PDS, like, you just build your PDS network, and you're going to be okay. What makes Graviton Laser Systems so great, um, obviously, is... The, the the you have to assign the hits to to non-fighters yeah basically we've got a lot of races that are a part of this discussion so there's a kind of a really big ending point that we have to make yeah within so, all of this so another race that has a non-fighter targeting um like and we kind of overlooked we this overlooked a little this. bit we always thought the lizix bombardment ability was going to be really good we thought their assimilate was going to be good they we, we later it. we later kind of reneged that and said i mean yeah it's not a hunter's law thing but we still think it's good the lizix dreadnoughts and flagship amazing combination like very 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 powerful the fact that like you're going to get a lot of dreadnoughts yeah. our player maxed out dreadnoughts very quickly had the flagship out and just had this fleet that was going to walk through every single one of the most effective death balls i've ever seen yes and it it was because you could not fighter screen against him if that was not an option we weren't far away from it but if he had gotten duranium armor unstoppable yeah Uh, like probably one of the fiercest fleets i've ever seen in a game of twilight imperium and it's just it's I'm telling you, anybody who's got that option to ignore fighters now, that just seems to be such an effective combo. Like, really hits and hurts really hard. So let's talk about the two races that made us realize this. Yeah, Hunter, okay. in the first game, played as the Federation of Soul, and he had a bad game. I had game. a rough time. I had, you know, it wasn't a completely all bad game. It's just once it turned on me, it was like, I mean, it was bad, and I had a, I, I got a bad toot out of it. Um, but I will say this about Soul. Um, so I believe, if it's not obvious that Extra might be like was probably bumped up in our books, I'm probably gonna bump Soul down in my own personal book. Mm-hmm. And he, there are two real reasons why. Um, the command counter economy. We talked about it a lot in the lead up. It, it's not. It's not that big of a deal. It's not a big you deal. You can at all. deal with it. Here's the thing. There are enough planets on the board because we're not playing with all of the expansion planets mm-hmm. that came with ti3 there are a lot of planets that are zero four zero two zero yeah, three zero three yeah i was never in a situation me personally and i think most players were this way i was never in a situation where i couldn't spend at least three influence on some command counters yep. i was every time leadership was getting played i was getting at least one command counter mm-hmm. even though it's more expensive i always had it in my realm of possibility that is all to say that the command counter economy is not so... Div- and honestly, I feel foolish that we even were obsessing over it so much because how much fun would the, would a game be where it was like... You can the only main, take two actions. Yeah, you round. just can't really take that many actions. So that all of this is to say that Soul's command counter, extra command counter, is not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. It just isn't that much of a boon. It's fun. It's, it's certainly nice. But it's not a huge plus. Not a game changer. Right. And that's okay. Um, And it's not like, I'm not trying to say that we have somehow ridden that to get here. But combined with my second point, I think kind of spells something bad for Saul. Um, Because of all the points we just made about uh, L1Z1 and Extra having really devastating abilities that get to ignore fighters, their capacity 
which is kind of like their flagship has 12 capacity. All of their their capacity units are so much better than everyone else's. That definitely late game is not much of a boon. Like it's just, it's not going to win you the game early game. It's nice that your capacity is better than everybody else. But basically fighter screens are kind of taking a hit in general, it feels yeah. like. They, they have so far felt... Not just underwhelming, but straight up bad. Yeah. I will say uh, that it was pretty easy to uh, maintain a lot of ground forces. And I actually surprised myself and even used orbital drop several times. And I felt like it did discourage people from invading yeah, me. Absolutely. The fact that there aren't mechanized units anymore mm-hmm. means that like you don't really have to maintain that many ground forces on a planet for yeah. it to look pretty scary. Yeah. Um, and invading, you know, so I will, I will that say puts, that Sol- puts another, that puts another thing in Lizix's pocket though. Yeah. We didn't play soul against Lizix. We played extra against Lizix. So I don't know how the Lizix would play against soul. I'm just seeing a lot of counters to what soul has going. And this is all part of our, of part of the ending point want to make. We got to say one more thing. We also played with the Nalu in our second game. That was the game where it was Nalu versus Lizix basically. And, uh, the fighters, Again, it just didn't feel very good because Nalu had Lizix as their neighbor, and any point, the Lizix could just walk through them. Yeah, the like Lizix the- death ball was not really threatened by Nalu having good fighters. Yes, yeah, not at all. Um, the fighter screams were basically worthless, and the big overarching point we want to make within all of this is TI3 never felt like it had hard counters. There were definitely things you could do against certain races with races, but TI4... There are hard counters. Yeah. Absolutely. And you have to take that into account when you're playing. I, if Soul sits next to Lizix, that is a that's problem. A hard yeah. You are you are in trouble. The Lizix can walk through you and there's very little you can do to stop them. Mm-hmm. So the the other thing too is like with Lizix, um you so you have that flagship, right? Uh you get gravity drive, right? You get Type 4 Drive. Mm. Now we're talking about a fleet of Dreadnoughts plus a flagship that can all move to. Yeah. That it, it's, and that's not that hard to get to. I think essentially what's creating this situation where it feels like there are hard counters is that because tech has been simplified, there are certain combinations that we are going to expect it to be very easy for players yeah. to get to yes. every single yeah. time. We'll talk more about tech later, but yes. yeah, the ending point is the devastating tech that races can acquire are incredibly easy to get, which means those devastating abilities are that much more powerful. Yeah, so you need to start looking at, whenever you're playing against a certain race, there are certain combinations of abilities that we think are going to be a lot more like, well, duh, they're going to have that. Yes. Yeah, it's not a if they get it, it's when. Because the tech tree used to be a mess. It used to be this nasty... So that meant that there were more variables in the mm-hmm. way of someone getting to the tech that they needed. Right. And now that has been cleaned up and there is a pretty devastating effect. Pretty much everyone that. has a straight shot. Yes. We didn't uh, we didn't really write this down, but like another kind of just point within that topic is like we played a game with Sardak Nor and they started with no tech. They got War Sons pretty quickly. Yep. Wasn't wasn't hard they for them at all. There. They got there. Um, and not a lot we could have done to impede them. Because, like, again, there's this whole thing of, like, yes, part of Twilight Imperium is, like, getting in your opponent's way. But, like, you can't mess up your own 
kingdom yeah, yeah, you just to like keep Sardak Nor from having enough money to get war sums. Right, like, and all they need is four. Yeah, like, tech is so cheap. We'll talk about this more later. Yeah, Let's yeah, get through a couple more races. Uh, Hakan. It's interesting because we had so much to say about Hakan, but we've got a pretty quick point to make about Hakan. Um, well, I think we'll be talking about Hakan so much more in the future. In the future. And that's why. But yes. essentially, our point is this. Um, Hakan seemed to warp the game around themselves a little bit mm-hmm. in that our entire... And, when I've, and I've heard stories of people talking about yeah. similar games like this. Um, our entire table had to start making a policy about Hakan. And I would encourage everyone playing with a Hakan player to have a similar policy because... Was it 11 trade goods that our Hakan player got on the first round? On not just the first round. The first turn that came to Hakan, Mm -hmm. they had 11 trade goods. Their very first action, they had 11 trade goods available. And that was just surely because we hadn't discussed it. The second we saw that, we, you, everyone else at the table basically kind of had to agree to not like just give Hakan one for one trade. You can't do fair deals with Hakan. No. Uh, and and what what I always heard this said by other players who have played the game was um, this sort of mentality of oh maybe Hakan isn't that great because you have to railroad them. But I think that is still part of what makes Hakan great is the fact that the entire table has to think about Hakan. Right. So here's so and here's band together against them. Right. And essentially what happens is this. So let's say you do get the entire table to agree to not just let Hakan run away with it as far as money goes. But then what happens when one player gets weak and needs Hakan's help yep. and then they make they break the, tra- the deal. They break the deal and they make the trades. And that's something we saw in our game. And oh my god, thematically, so juicy. So juicy. Really, really juicy. Basically, it's always anytime anyone feels slightly under the radar, or like like anytime anyone is just like, oop, I'm not in the lead anymore, I'm I'm getting worried, they always go to Hakan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the, that potential was totally there. Um, and a lot of times, I mean, when it would happen, I wouldn't really blame the person. It was no. like, how dare you? Don't do that. But then like... Uh, you gotta, I get it. Yeah, yeah. and so, that's and that's just like the implication of Hakan being in the game. So that's another point of like, there's just this thing of the great races of Twilight Imperium feel greater. Mm-hmm. They're they're they all have huge impacts. Hakan's on Hakan's negotiating power is uh, oh, it's insane. In that regard, it feels more like Cosmic Encounter, where like games feel completely different based on which races are in it. Yeah, our second game did not have a Hakan player. And the the flow of the entire game was different. Yes. yes. Uh, Hunter, you played as the Isaral tribes. Yeah, and the second game we played, I played as the Isaral tribes, and I think I'm happy to report that Isaral performed a little bit better than I expected. Not amazingly better. We were we called a couple things that I think were right. Um, I didn't skip a single time. I never did. Uh, there almost was no point to. Now the action card deck is pruned down to just like a base level, which means that you're going to have such a good hand that you're never really going to need to skip. Uh, I don't expect it happening, mostly because there are plenty of action cards that are play as action. You might as well just do that. And that's basically a delay right there. Um, And I don't know, like my deck was just really pruned and like super great. And it helped me a lot. It almost gave me the game. And in the end there... There was always still even the option too. Like, yes, he had all great cards, and in the last round of play, if he needed to, he could have skipped like one turn to make something happen. So it's like, yeah, you might skip once for the win. Yeah. And that's the only time you're going to do it. 
Yeah. Also, um, the Isoral flagship uh, is interesting, a little more interesting than I think uh, we gave it credit for. It has uh, basically a through the silence of space yeah. uh, as, as light a wave flagship. deflector. Yeah, light wave deflector, and it. Uh, I don't know. It was useful. It. it I used it in a, a pretty clutch situation, and because I had such a strong hand of action cards. It, yeah, this is the point you brought own, to me. Yeah. Could like could do quite a bit. We thought it wouldn't have a major impact because it's like, oh, it's just one ship. What can it do? Like, okay, you send the flagship and the three fighters it can hold. What's that going to do? But because your hand is so full of just like, oh, and then I direct hit, and then right. I get units back, and I do all these ridiculous things. You're fighting. Your fleet is not just your fleet. Your fleet is your flag is your action cards. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I I I it definitely came in handy for me. Um, and yeah, dude. Uh, do not underestimate having just a great hand of action cards yeah. all the time. That was super every action great. card is good, and yeah, so they're gonna have so the best ones. ones. Yeah. There was a point where Hunter looked at me and said, "I'm just I'm about to discard a direct hit." That's how good my hand yeah. is. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it was amazing. Uh, I played as the Sar, the Clan of Sar, in that last game, and there's some really weird. I don't really have great points to make about the Sar yet. It's a very strange feeling. Um, the gist of it is, I had the most roller coaster of a game I've ever had. Um, I took an early lead, and then, of course, with my early lead, I became public enemy number one. Everyone had to take had had to deal with me, mm-hmm. and I knew that would be the case. I got five points in the first two. first two rounds. I had five points. Yeah, and um, yeah, uh, the producing ability on the move is good, but methodical. Um, I kind of kept running into fleet supply problems within that. I, I kind of like had my ball at its maximum, and then every time I wanted to move, I didn't have quite enough command counters to keep improving my fleet supply and move and build without taking all the ships. Like, it was just this puzzle that I think I was only okay at. So it's not to say that that's a huge hindrance, but you got to start really thinking about where all of your command counters are going as the Clannasar because mm-hmm. it be, it becomes this interesting puzzle you have to solve. Uh, the other thing I'll say about the Clannasar is because, like... Your ability is that you don't need your home system to claim objectives, which means the whole purpose of the Clannasar, to me, is go all in on objectives. Mm-hmm. Um, I basically won the. I won our game. There's a lot of stuff we could talk about about like the context of my win. Yeah. But in general, I won the game with nothing left. Yeah. Absolutely nothing left, and it is because I constantly only went for the objectives and was constantly like dragging my hands through the mud and just keeping it going and barely eked it out right hunter and i were in a dead race towards the end mm-hmm. um and that point kind of leads to our idea this le- lends back to like the lizix and extra conversation but i didn't feel like my mobility as the clanisar was my benefit my benefit was just that I can sacrifice everything for objectives. The mobility never got me anywhere, and it's because these big, slow ships are more devastating than they've ever been. TI3 was all about mobility, and I think it's because there's so many early game techs that grant you huge amounts of mobility. In the two games we've played, I have not bought Gravity Drive once, yep. and I've never felt like that was holding me back mm-hmm. from any objectives. I've been claiming objectives every round, and it was... I never needed gravity drive. I was upgrading units and giving them plus movement through that. Uh, and the plus, you know, the better units was better than having the ability to make like one ship go faster. Right. The, the new trend in this TI4 base game is get your pie slice, 
hold on to it, build big, scary fleets. We thought skirmishes would be a big deal, and I don't think skirmishes are a big deal. Mm-hmm. I think establishing trade uh, trade lines is important, but you don't necessarily do that through skirmishes. Mm-hmm. I'm really interested to see how Mentac plays at this point. We had uh, several moments in both games where a fleet was wiped out without getting the chance to counterattack. Yes. That is something that happened twice, mm-hmm. and that's something that did not happen in TI three that often. And that tells me that that if you have a if you have a great combination of capital ships, the damage that they can do is like kind of insane. Yes. So that is to say, TBD. But Baronia Letnev might be a lot better than we've ever been considering, mm-hmm. especially considering the command counter thing isn't a big deal. Right. So like the big argument has been, well, they only get that you can look at it as they really only get two free command counters at the beginning of the game and then their ability is negated but that is not what their ability is their ability is they're going to have huge ships and huge ships might be vastly more important than any of us have ever thought yeah uh mentac may or may not go down um any any small skirmishy yin brotherhood in my mind goes even further down even further guys it's just all these all these things that rely on little ships I don't see that being a valid strategy. It just hasn't worked so far. Every time we've had someone who had that kind of fleet, they got absolutely trounced. It just. kind of feels like uh, TI3 was very prone to like fighter screens. Like Fighter screens were kind of like what you were going for. And it feels like they've sort of corrected now mm-hmm. um, and possibly overcorrected. It's kind of early to call. Yeah. Uh, but it feels like, I don't know, I just, I'm not scared of them anymore. Uh, yeah. Fighter screen isn't that big of a deal. Uh, for what it's worth, the other races that we played with were Jolnar. I honestly don't have a lot to say about Jolnar. Uh, the player who played as them was a brand new player, so it's hard to judge what they were doing. Uh, we talked a little bit about Sardak Nor. Um, the gist for them, I would just say, is um, the tech thing isn't that big of a deal. We'll talk mm-hmm. again. We'll talk about tech, and so their starting fleet being so much better puts them on some good footing. Um, but the fact that they don't have any devastating abilities. Again, these races that have huge, huge, huge powers, they're the ones that make big plays. So I don't know if Sardak Nor's plus one will pull it off. I think Sardak Nor's racial tech is very important. Yeah, now. I agree. And again, you're going to you're gonna get that. So yeah, let's... Everything we said, just said about Sardak, make that all tentative. Ten- very tentative. Neither of us have played them yet. Um, so let's get into the, system, uh, the, the, the mechanic conversations. Yeah. Uh, we need to talk about trade. One thing to just throw out there uh, that's just a fun note... Really silly. Part of the beauty of trade is, yes, we did do a brokered trade. There's been some conversation on Board Game Geek about this, but uh, the ability to trade through the Hakan, we trade, you know, someone traded something to Hakan, the Hakan then traded something to somebody else. Like, it, it's an interesting prospect. It's not something you're going to hardly ever do. It's just a goofy, wacky thing, but the prospect of it is fun, and I think every once in a while there's going to be a cool opportunity. Yeah, to there's going to be a call for it every once in a while. Um, I wouldn't say that the situation we did it in seemed like it was really worth all of the trouble. Didn't even make sense. It didn't even really make sense, it just but it's just it. something we realized we could do and we gave it a shot. Yeah. Um, I would say that promissory notes got out there way more than I thought they were going yeah, to. Too much. Too much. Um, this is a uh, an area where having new players, I think, is kind of a hindrance. Um, negotiating when done correctly is feels really really good now yes let's uh let's get some mechanical things out of the way and then we have a lot to talk about with Mm -hmm. negotiating Mm -hmm. Uh, and i honestly don't want to spend too much time on it because it's just such a big topic that like it's something we're gonna be thinking and talking about a lot in the future but basically with promissory notes 
trade is better than the old trade system. Trade contracts are gone and it's great. But if anything, promissory notes replace trade contracts in that regard of, ooh, I have this person that I have kind of a legitimate peace with. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I still think there's less there's less of an idea of I'm either at war or I'm at peace with someone. Right. But promissory notes definitely still give that feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we mistakenly did, they should not be dealt out lightly. Lightly, no. And no. to that same point, uh, neither should commodities. Um, nope. In all, in both of our games, we were really, and we said this before, we knew we would be fast and loose with this stuff, but uh, it's dangerous to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, the most effective negotiations were the ones where we started to play hardball. Mm-hmm. And that's our biggest point with trade is... Every player at the table needs to be a good negotiator now. Mm-hmm. Even if one player is kind of softballing and just throwing stuff out there for and not getting a lot for it, that really can upset the balance of the game now very mm-hmm. solidly. Because not only are people trading lots of commodities, but like their promissory notes just You're get trading out victory there. points. You're trading every victory once in a points. Um, there was a point in the four-player game we played where I had a ceasefire from every other player. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know how I did that. Yeah. Like, I just went for it yeah. and got all of that. Them. That was a problem. That was us being stupid. We're right. not saying, like, ooh, that's going to happen. It was like, how stupid of our players to just everyone be throwing out ceasefires. Right, but people, like... We'll never do that again. It's kind of a blind spot yes. that we found where, like, okay, so the negotiations happening on the table need to be a lot more considered because if you're a player, like, that focuses a lot on that aspect of the game, you can really run away with it. Yes. If the board isn't paying attention... If they're lazy. Yeah, if they're lazy, if if you got a fast talker that's, like, getting a lot of deals done at the table, you need to watch for that because yes. you can get a lot done just talking now. Yeah. Um, that that's the biggest point like for Hakan technically yeah. is like anyone who gives them an inch they get a mile yeah um, and yeah that just goes for like literally everything um, Hunter the timing window ended up being weird but like Hunter got Nalu's promissory note early on mm-hmm. and that would have absolutely won him the game yeah you should not give out nalu's promissory note probably ever unless like you are on the verge of elimination he did not get a lot for he it. he did not I get a lot for that. it and that is the case all of the um negotiations that hunter and i feel like were effective negotiations were mainly the negotiations that i had to make when i was crawling through the mud yeah. i made Two or three negotiations when I was on the brink of destruction, and the only way I could stay literally in the game was through some of these negotiations. Those are the only ones that felt, in the end, worthwhile. So here's here's the rule. Here's the, a very basic thing that I'm going to throw out. If you're doing well in the game, if things are going fine for you... Do not give things away for free. Just wait a minute when someone's trying to get something from you and ask for a lot. If yes. you feel like you're a, you have the upper hand, push that upper hand. If you are if you are at a low point in your game, then you need to negotiate effectively to try and get yourself out of that hole. Yes, um, and don't let yourself be taken advantage of because players will. It's and, very easy to. And try to not let people know why it is you need the thing you need yes, and yes, what yes, you yes, need. Yes, it yes, for. yes. Oh my gosh, this was okay. Well. We'll get there. We'll get there, but the the spark notes is 
secrets are so important now. I'm not saying secret objectives, but that's included. Like, keep your cards close to your chest. I tend to play really open about, like, what my possibilities are. And now, with negotiation being such a big deal, I have to change my strategies. Because I'm going to get hurt a lot if I kind of, like, lay myself out there and let people know what I'm thinking. We've got a good anecdote for that, but let's not get to it yet. Yeah. Do you want to move on to agendas I want to yeah. move on to agendas. Agendas are such an interesting thing. Um, it is obviously better than politics in TI3, but that's because politics in TI3 is just a flawed system, and yeah. everyone has talked about it forever. It's always the thing you're excited about, but then it never, ever, ever pans out to be super interesting. Agendas are... The agenda phase is interesting, but it does not work the way we thought it would work. Yeah. Um, I And I'm not even really sure what we were expecting. It is nice that it's happening in a phase, and it's nice that there are two. Every but round. the problem is that the meta, the, the, the meta kind of messes with the system yeah. a little bit. I, I want to make a comparison. Yeah, to, let's do it. I expected it to be like Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. the voting or whatever you're doing, you know, the, the influence that you get to get the tokens in Game of Thrones, that system works as a, ooh, what, how many votes are you going to put in? The big difference between Game of Thrones is everyone votes at once, and so you have unexpected things happen. People spend votes where they don't mean to, and because it's still Twilight Imperium rules where everyone votes one at a time, it's very easy to quickly see that a vote is not going to go in your favor, and in the end, people just don't cast votes. Vote like the outcome is decided before any votes are even cast, or be, or by the time the first vote is cast. Yeah, and the I don't order seems to be still really important in the way that the uh, the mechanic works. Speaker token is a huge deal. Pretty big. There were several times where uh, because I was the speaker when I was Isarl, I was getting the speaker token a lot so that I get those action cards from the political. Um, strategy card so there were several times where we would negotiate everything and then i would just get to abstain because i got to vote Mm -hmm. last which is cool and that's actually just like an interesting advantage of having the speaker token but what i'm saying is that that speaker token is still quite important um the timing of votes impacts everyone else's votes which more often than not led to the second vote in an agenda phase most everybody had all of their votes still. We which, never were, like, splitting votes. Which, honestly, the, a lot of the conversations we were having in the agenda phase were not that different from conversations you would have in Twilight Imperium 3, which is kind of a knock against it. Yeah. Because what we're saying is, like, while it is a little bit better, it is still of cut from the same cloth. Yes. And, yeah, a lot of those conversations, I would say, weren't really that interesting. Yes. And be, the meta seems to work in a way that kind of works against the spirit of the I'll, whole I'll idea. say this. My first, now I think, my first house rule is going to be Game of Thrones rules with votes. I would love that. I think everyone should vote at once because then you you talk about it a bunch. You have everyone go, okay, we each need to spend five to make it to where our 15 is more than that guy's 14. But then everyone's got to carry through with that. Mm-hmm. And you have to see, because what kept happening was the five would happen. And then the person who only had 14 would be next, and they would go, okay, I'm going to abstain because I don't want to use any of my votes. And then everyone else got to abstain, and so only one person spent five votes. Whereas if we all voted at once, I could, as the 14-vote person, still put my 14 votes in there because 
maybe someone's going to back out. Right. It needs to be all revealed at once. Yeah. For for it to have the effect we desired. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe that's not what the game designers wanted it to be. They still like this one at a time thing, but I think the the having two agendas works better if the votes are cast secretly. I agree. Uh yeah, it it did not r- yeah it just seems like we got around the system kind of easily which that in the same way that politics worked before yeah you can just bypass the system to to get there was just never shocking things that happened Mm -hmm. the agenda would be revealed that would be shocking of like oh no is that about to happen and then we would know what was going to happen yeah it yeah the writer cards do help that a lot the writer cards are an interesting dynamic within that and they do they're better than political intrigue Mm -hmm. um it's a good addition but it still isn't enough yeah it's also the writer cards are kind of easy to get around too because there very rarely is like a law that's so devastating that you can't like change your mind about it so if somebody puts a writer down sometimes it's like well let's just vote the other way just because i don't want them to get that thing now and like i didn't really care either way so that's the other thing too is it kind of comes down to like we haven't pruned the political deck yet why will we do that we're still just trying to get used to the game i don't think there will be need for it i mean maybe there won't be but maybe there will i don't know like it it all just kind of comes down to like at this point I would say the agenda phase is just, it's nice. It's definitely, it's definitely an improvement. We can say that a hundred percent, hundred percent, hundred percent, but there are still little pieces of it that are wrong. Yeah. There's still little problems to have some improvement. And honestly, it really just comes down to, I don't think it's that hard to make those improvements. Whereas with TI three, they were always just like, yeah, but how, how do you make it better? And basically they were just like right on the cusp of it. And Mm -hmm. they should have committed fully to it being exactly like game of Thrones. That's my, that's my vote. Maybe at some point we will actually try that and see if that has the impact, but who knows? It could still be a wash. So yeah. that's that's a super TBD point. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about tech. Ooh, Hunter and the I unexpected one. You know, if, if I couldn't have seen this, yeah. If if politics is the weak point in TI three, is the ooh that's going to be amazing, and then it isn't. Tech is the weak point of TI4, Well, let's not be so definitive, sure. but that's our impression. Our impression is that tech is too easy. It's it's too cheap. Yeah. Um, everyone was getting tech every single round. Mm-hmm. Granted, I think the caveat here is we played a five-player game and then we played a four-player game, which both, notably, all the players are going to have more resources at their disposal, For especially sure. with a four-player game. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that is a problem. We haven't played a six-player game to see how well it works, but... You're not going to play a six-player game every single time you play Twilight Imperium, so it's still a flaw. Everyone had so much money, they were buying tech no matter what. The command counters weren't a problem, so people always had a command counter to spend on getting tech. Right. Um, every there, there race... There were enough objectives that were tech-based yeah. that you had Should. to. Yeah, you had like, to do it. But and it wasn't very expensive to do. It was very easy to yeah. do. Every race got the tech they needed to get. Mm-hmm. With no fluff. Yeah. Everyone skipped around what they needed to skip around, and everyone got that big, scary tech that they needed. Uh, I will say, didn't care about blue tech. I kind of made this point with Clan Asar. I I never got Gravity Drive. Mm -hmm. Only saw Fleet Logistics get bought once. Did not see a huge impact. I still think Fleet Logistics is going to have some huge plays, and that will be a game winner for people. But... Sarween tools is important. Plasma scoring is better than I thought. Yeah. Duranium armor is going to be a big, big deal if we're right about fleets being hugely important. Right. Um, right. Every every single tech tree except for blue got bumped up in my mind mm-hmm. in its level of importance. 
to where I'm not saying blue is the worst, but they are all on equal footing now. In both games, Hunter and I were both getting a little bit of every kind of tech. We were like jack of all trades. Yeah, neither of us went deep. Um, On my Clan of Star game, I got all the unit upgrades I needed. It was just like I had everything I wanted, and all of it was good, and it made me, like, it made every race a superpower. And so the ones where you talk about the, ooh, if this race gets this tech, it's gonna be ridiculous, that happens very quickly. Yeah, and also we didn't, no one at the table ever complained about like being behind on tech right. or not feeling like they were getting tech. That's something that I feel like in TI3, there will be times where people will be like, I'm just not able yeah. to do it. And I remember having to, yeah, I, it just it just feels like because trade is so important now, I think that's kind of the part that kind of knocked yes. tech out. Yes. It is really easy to get four monies yeah. in a round via trade yep. to get your tech. Yes. Even the Sardak Nor got a lot of tech yeah and the point there is i think one of the biggest knocks we got was when we talked about we didn't talk about starting techs with a lot of our kind of racial just yeah it was because of the judgments order. we covered it um and i just don't think starting techs are important there's some importance there like i think it's important that extra starts with graviton laser systems mm-hmm. and it's important that any race that starts with Neural motivator, Neural motivator tools, that's good. Like, Those are good things to start with. But tech's cheap. You can get it so fast. Anyway, if you think you need Neural Motivator, just get it. It's right there. And then if and I never needed it. I yeah. never got it. And then somebody's getting the strategy card, which means they're getting two tech for six. It's just, it's cheap, guys. It's yeah. like, you're going to have a lot of tech. Yeah. Don't. I never once had to really think that hard in either of the games about, first of all, what tech I was going to get. Right. And second of all, how much it was going to cost me. Like, yeah. it was just, it was a very easy system. And I think we saw that coming, but we didn't necessarily see it as like, now it might be too easy. Yeah. I think essentially that's what we're saying. Yeah, I, I think what kind of all of that means is it's not that, it's that the tech system isn't fun. Yeah. It's... That doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it's a non-starter. It's just a thing you do, which in one respect is an interesting thing, right? Like there is just a natural progression to the game. Mm -hmm. But the kind of trade-off there is that happens very quickly. Mm -hmm. The progression is by round three, people are these ridiculous superpowers. And from there, it like plateaus into just like everyone is a superpower. And it's just very weird. It's just a really weird feeling on the board to have these things that can come up and just be like, uh-oh, here comes Lizix with their unstoppable fleet, or uh-oh, don't ever touch Extra, or, you know, any any replacement for that. Like, there's just so much that is just very easy to do. Yeah. Um. So that kind of wraps up our mechanical talks. We had a couple more things just to throw out there. Uh, this game is beautiful. It's yep. so beautiful. Um, it's I, got a shiny new coat of paint on it. It's got such a shiny everywhere. new coat of paint. We just wanted to say this for anyone that wants to know about the game from just an aesthetic point of view. Um, first off, this is a moot point, but like the deluxe rule book that I got through the pre-order is like the, my favorite thing that I own in my board game collection. It is just everything I've ever wanted. Um, in TI3, I always wanted to make my own hardcover rule book, and I'm just so glad that I have this thing. It's just so great, and it's so beautiful. And the plastic is amazing on all of the pieces. Uh, people have talked about, like, maybe the cardstock is a little bit cheaper. That's probably true. I don't know. All the iconography is great. Mm-hmm. All It's just such a beautiful game, and it looks great. And I, I, the second we had it laid out on the board, 
I just had this feeling of like, wow, we're playing a smooth game now, and it mm-hmm. does play smooth. Everything there's so much less looking at weird rules and like it taking forever to find them. Everything happens in a pretty logical way, and it's just there is nothing in my mind that says this is not a vast improvement over TI3. And for all of the people, there's so many threads going on right now of the of 100 people asking the same question of should I get TI4? Should I get a cheap copy of TI3? Should I I have TI3? Should I still get TI4? And I mean, you're talking to these two dudes who have started a TI podcast, but like Yes, get TI4. It's better, it's better, it's better. Yeah. It's a lot better. Yeah. I don't, I'm not one of those people who think it's like, oh no, it's a pretty similar to, it's a lot better. Mm-hmm. And it looks a lot better. And there it plays several, faster. several eureka moments yes. in, in uh, while we were playing. Lots of uh, realizations about trade and negotiating that were like really, literally made us be like, oh my God. Yeah, it's, it is so interesting to see people knock it when the number one complaint that Twilight Imperium has ever received is it is long and convoluted and TI4 is drastically less so. Yes, there's still a lot of rules, but there's not as many rules where you're just like, what is that weird specific situation? Mm -hmm. And it's going to take 10 hours? Like, yeah, in TI3 you could have quick games too, but the potential for TI4 to be a quick game is just so much more improved in our opinion. Um, So to anyone trying to like have some sort of review and like is it worth buying a hundred times yes um, but again you're talking to talking yeah, to us I mean, we have a podcast <laughs> just about one board game which is kind of uh, crazy also i don't know if you just noticed but um we just jumped into this podcast like we were like we literally do you notice how he didn't say like hi we got it isn't that exciting we just went into yeah. this did you feel that There's we so just like much. started chewing like we are like we felt that immediately. Yeah, we we literally like what this this episode that you just listened to has just been us going right into thinking about the game, breaking it down strategically. There was no like yeah. we like we didn't even really have that moment of like yay like the anticipation for this game has been so intense that we just started living it yes. right away. And it paid off immediately, and all of this is to say again these are first impressions, and like. I can already tell all this stuff is going to continue to change because Twilight Imperium is a meta game more than anything else. And we are going to constantly learn how to counter moves more and more. So I think this is the sort of thing where like, again, a tier list is just so incredibly malleable. It's Mm -hmm. never going to be a finite thing. Mm -hmm. There are, I, what I will say is in the future, we will probably do some sort of list. And this is going to be part of our starting unit strategies of, uh, races that counter each other that's yeah. a much bigger deal countering definitely seemed to be in the air yes. and that i've never we've never used that word never to describe used, anything happening nope. in ti um, ever so it's not that there are tears it's just that you have to be worried about hard counters now mm-hmm. um so to, to close us out we're not going to do an errata yeah, this sorry. week. There's uh, nothing to, nothing to talk about. We just point. had stories last week. And yeah. we're going to do that episode again. We're going to do more um, This Imperium Lifes. So as a general rule, constantly be sending us stories. Mm-hmm. We don't, we'll don't. we put calls out when we're getting close to doing an episode, but just always be getting, giving them to us. And we're going to keep a backlog, and we'll do it as often as having stories is required. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot that we didn't do from this past episode. We started recording and we hit like our 45 minute mark really fast in recording these stories. Yeah. So we'll do some of the ones we skipped over this time. So don't worry if you if your story got missed. We still want to do it. There's just a lot, and uh, we want to get more. Um, Hunter, 
Tell me about your favorite moment in these first two games of TI4. Okay, so my favorite moment, um, we've talked a lot about negotiating. Uh, there's a lot of, God, there's a lot of new keywords, negotiating, counters. These are words that we've never used on this podcast to talk about TI. But my favorite moment was a moment where I was negotiating with you, Matt, and it was over a single trade good. <laughs> you needed, he needed a single trade good from me for a point. And the mistake he made was that he let me know that that's yep. what it was, yep. that he needed a trade good for the point. So the second he told me that, the the price went basically skyrocketed. Through the roof. I negotiated fiercely with him, and it was... it. It really like shined. I got a ceasefire and a trade agreement for a trade good, which yep. is a crazy deal. That doesn't yep. even make sense. Doesn't even make sense. But you know what? Barring a lot of the asterisks that we have on this game, that one trade good that I received from you, I won the game. Yeah. Yeah. That did it. That was part of the process. That helped him. And he gave me a lot for that. But I like, and the thing was at the time, you know, I had no way to know what kind of game we were heading for. And he negotiated with me. He agreed to a pretty, like, pretty bad deal yep. for him, but it still helped him hang on. Yes. So that's what that's essentially what we're saying is now when you're down and out, when things aren't working out that well for you, come to the negotiating table. Yeah. Because it's gonna pay off. And don't spend all of your things that you can negotiate with on stupid negotiations. Yeah. Don't get rid of your ceasefire just because you want like. A couple things early game just to help you buy a tech like you are going to need that stuff when you're down and out the number one thing right now that i wish that that makes me wish we had a team of really experienced players was the the conversation between between the two of us when we were negotiating yeah. over this one trade good was fascinating to me yes. like the power dynamic the way that you know it's like i knew that if i was too much of a stickler that you were going to eventually have to be like, okay, I can't, this is too, this yeah. is, he's asking for too much. So we both kind of had to find like the, a, a space that made sense between our power dynamic. Yep. And that was a really fascinating conversation. Yep. And it actually happened pretty quickly. Yeah. I mean, me and you are fast. So we kind of just like, it, it was, we done. knew where it was going to go, and, but the context of everything we had just decided was like a hundred conversations happening mentally. Right. And then the second it was over, I was like, oh, wow, I've never had a moment like that before in Twilight yeah. Imperium. That is new. That's a yes. new feeling. Yep. Basically. And what do you got, Matt? What do you want to tell them about? <laughs> I, uh, uh bu buckle up. <laughs> I had, this is so hard to define. I had probably the greatest game of Twilight Imperium I have ever played. I was the Clan Asar. Um, check our Twitter because, boy, howdy, is that a ride. Oh, man. Uh, I've got the whole thing detailed. It's not in excruciating detail, but you'll see the high points, and you'll be like, how did we get from here to here? Yeah. What? Yeah. Um, so I took the early lead we talked about. I had So... So much about Twilight Imperium is luck, and I am the first to admit it, and it's a problem a lot of people have, and the reason this is the greatest game I ever played is because of a lot of lucky factors. Mm -hmm. I had a secret objective at the beginning of the game that was only possible if I got the Warfare strategy card. I happened to start with the speaker token, so I got to do that. One of the public objectives 
perfectly synchronized with my board position and my secret objective and warfare. Like, just this perfect blend of, like, all the paths converge, the stars have aligned, and the Twilight Imperium gods are telling me, Matt, you're gonna win this game. Mm-hmm. I took this huge lead and was immediately the thing everyone had to deal with. And I was ready for it, and only because I was the Clan of Sar. The fact that I just got to now be a bandit on the run was thrilling. And there were a lot of moments where the other players in the game were making these decisions that were like, I don't want to do that because that's going to screw Matt over too hard. Even though I was like two or three points ahead of them, they started to carve through me so much that by, I think it was maybe round five, I had three planets and one fleet. Um, I had just like nothing left. I was just holding on for dear life. But the public objectives kept being exactly what I needed to where I was still claiming a public objective every single round. So I was still constantly walking towards the end game, and everyone kept kind of saying to themselves, He's about to he's about to peter out. He's that's all he's got left. And I, of course, was also pushing that storyline because I needed people to leave me alone a little bit. What it really came down to is this is the point in favor of anyone who has ever gotten onto us because we are afraid of player elimination. Um, it is true that in this game, no one wanted to completely knock me out. Someone could have at some point, and no one was ever incentivized to do it, right, beyond just knocking me out of, of kneecapping me. And we've talked a lot about kneecapping as being something that... Um, doesn't usually there's not an, enough of a cost benefit to it but in this situation they should have kneecapped me because what the game ended with was me getting right there at the end two more secret objectives that were again exactly what i needed all i had to do was invade one of hunter's systems i got both of the secret objectives completed and i had a public objective that was just a tech objective that i had in the bag so all i had to do was write it out until the status phase. Um, so everyone said, okay, now we have to eliminate Matt. I got attacked. I had a skilled retreat. I retreated into an asteroid field. About a round before that, I had just said to Hunter, I just don't know if chaos mapping was actually a worthy get. I bought it very early on, and I just don't think I don't think I should have gotten chaos mapping. Uh, well, I now had my space lock and my last remaining ground force in an asteroid field, that now no one could legally touch, uh, securing their inability to eliminate me, and because of the timing windows, their inability to beat me. Um, it was amazing. My heart was racing more than it has ever raced in Twilight Imperium, and all of that comes with like a hundred caveats of we spent the last hour mulliganing and figuring out where we messed up and like all of these things that should have happened and kind of almost happened um, that it's hard for me to even say it's a definitive victory for me. All that is to say, no one should ever mulligan ever again. Never give up. Yep. Never ever give up I in a game of this. Twilight Imperium. Yeah. I repeat this so often. Uh, this is especially something that new players are susceptible to where they take a big hit and they go, I think that's the game. I think I'm done. Um, early on in this game, I took a huge point lead and Hunter knew how to play the board. He knew how to play the metagame. And he said, if we don't deal with Matt, the game's already over. We're just done. It's over. 
uh, and he knew he needed to turn everyone against me, and I think he knew that if he didn't make the point very, very clear, they might not take up the call. So he used the language of... They were newer players. They were newer players, and so he used the language of, we are done for unless we deal with this. And uh, it worked, but it didn't work enough because they should have finished the job. Mm -hmm. But... Again, yeah, never give up. The game's never over. There are too many factors in Twilight Imperium that can turn a game around. Mm -hmm. Things that are out of your control. Luck is always present, and you can always get something. I mean, I'll say this uh, definitively. uh, Considering what you had available to you, I mean, you made lemonade with your lemons. Yes. For sure. And uh, even though things got messy with the newer players... um, it was still a solid play. Like really right. the question became like, I don't know. There were just some things not together uh, as far as whether the board could stop him. But essentially he, w- the worst that could have happened what he was, is that he would have forced a situation where I would have won instead of him. Yeah. So, and the thing is, I didn't have anything I could do to stop him. So in that way, it was the other board King, the other two players. King it, w- making. it would have just been the other two players King making which is always kind of a silly thing. And, you know, and we don't know for sure how it would have gone just because it got so messy. Um, But I think that kind of neatly brings us into a point that I'm going to just use as a little teaser into the next episode. But I know there's a lot of people that are going to be playing Twilight Imperium 4 for the first time and teaching a lot of new people. And let me tell you, the thing about that word mulligan is you got to keep it in check. Either... It seems a lot to say don't do it because Twilight Imperium is a lot of rules and it's very difficult and people are going to mess things up and it is their first time and you don't want to just burn someone out because, oh, I'm sorry, like you didn't understand the like, you know, it doesn't feel fair. It doesn't feel fair, but you need to keep that stuff in check. Maybe a house rule of like one mulligan per game might be wise because we kind of left that window open and mm-hmm. it kind of bit us in the butt collectively yeah. at the end of our game. It was a destructive hour. It was it was just absolutely chaos. It was every pl- it was every new player at the table forgetting everything all at once and because there had been times where we had messed up things and given ourselves a, a way out um we really didn't have any way to just look at them and be like this is not acceptable. Yeah. And we, because we didn't address it, we left it open. So that's why I'm trying to tell you in your games, maybe everyone just kind of agree. Everybody gets one mulligan. Yep. And then after that, it's on your own. You decide when to spend it. Right. The idea is eventually you're going to learn the game and everything will be fine. But in order for the game to be fun, I, I don't think you should be expected to like nail everything, but you got to keep that stuff in check because you can't have everyone being like, well, you're winning the game, but technically we all messed up and didn't do the right things the way. And now we all want to mulligan at once. And that was essentially the position we were in. And I honestly, it kind of, it just, it kind of took me out of the game quite a bit, really, which is a shame too, because Matt had pulled off such an awesome maneuver. And I, you know, it was so awesome that I was comfortable with being like, yeah, that's, that's the game. Like Matt yeah, won. The conversation became, was what I did cool enough for you guys to quit talking about all the things you were supposed to do? And can we just get, please give me the victory? Mm-hmm. I got pretty emotional, but that was all just because we were doing such ridiculous things. Right. All that's to say, um, next week, our episode is going to be kind of an interesting thing that I've been wanting to do for a while with 
TI4 being out, there's going to be a lot of new players. And I don't see the value in Space Cats, Peace Turtles doing their own learn-to-play guide because a lot of people are going to be doing that. There's already a few out there. There's also a book that comes with the board game that says learn to play. So if you want to learn how to play Twilight Imperium, read the book. Uh, <laughs> so... Did the, did the SAS Did the SAS come you? across? Okay, here's what we're going to do next week, though. And I, this is something I'm really excited to do. Uh, it's kind of a... It's going to be a, a two-parter, split-in-half thing, where we're going to do a learn how to learn how to play Twilight Imperium, and it will be a learn how to teach Twilight Imperium. The reason we have to do both parts is Twilight Imperium is a big game, and I've seen too many people either have something misrepresented to them, or they're thrown in too quickly, or there's just a lot of different context. So it is important for players to know what they are getting into. And so we're going to have basically a resource that we want you to be able to just send to someone. We are going to present this episode less like a conversation, and it will be a presentation that you can send to your friends that you want to get into Twilight Imperium. And so the first half will be, hi, you're here to learn what is Twilight Imperium? And that's what we'll be talking about is like, what are you about to get into? And what should your expectations for your first couple games be? What should you expect to get out of this? Uh, and then we will, having that context, teach the people who own the game that are bringing new players into it, what do you need to do to make it as smooth of a process as you possibly can, understanding that it will not be perfectly smooth. Mm-hmm. There's your teaser. We'll see you next week. Um, please keep tweeting at us. We are at Space Cats Pod. You can use the hashtag Space Cats Peace Turtles. We always use the hashtag TI4 too. It's kind of a conglomerated Twilight Imperium uh, hashtag. Um, we're we're having a lot of fun live tweeting our games. We did it for both of these first two games. I think it's something we will do with every single game. And getting your guys' reactions and ideas of things has been fun to share during the game as well. Um, you can also follow us on Facebook, Space Cats Peace Turtles. Um, continue having conversations there. From now on, our only forum posts are going to be on Reddit slash R slash Twilight Imperium. That's the Twilight Imperium subreddit. We can no longer post on Board Game Geeks. We will be starting a Board Game Geek guild. We will make sure our podcast is set up in the Board Game Geek network. But unfortunately, the rules of Board Game Geek have shut us out a bit. And even though that's our most active community, if you want to give us feedback, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit are the places to do it. So please, please send it all to us there. And email. And email. SpaceCatsPeaceTurtles at gmail.com. Dope. Oh, and tweet at Steve Martin. Oh, yeah. Tweet at Steve Martin. Make sure that Steve Martin knows that the game has come out so he can go ahead yeah, and make Steve the Yeah, Steve Martin purchase. can go ahead and buy it. Let him know. Actually, if you could just send this week, I would like you guys to send Steve Martin a link to the face to the Fantasy Flight page where he can buy the game yes, yes, please. because steve probably doesn't know where to buy the game mm-hmm, so if you guys mm-hmm. send him the link that's what because he's probably he probably has he's too the, busy plucking on his banjo he's plucking on his banjo and he's got the money together and he's ready to buy it but he just doesn't know where to go so if you could help him out yes he, that would really be appreciative he was telling me the other day that he was like i just i really i'm excited about playing hunter it's just that I don't know. I what don't the, get it. And I was like, it's HTTP. And he was like, I don't. Slow I'm already down. lost. I'm already lost. Yeah. He doesn't even always know how to use his tweeter. Thank you for listening to Space Cats Peace Turtles. And thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com. 
and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica Bellum Gloriosum. <laughs>